You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Hi, and welcome to the UI podcast. My name is Maya Björk, and today I'm talking with Mary Kaldor, Professor of Global Governance at the London School of Economics. She is known for her work around themes such as democratization, civil society, and understanding conflict. But today we will be talking about Brexit, and this is a debate in which she has also been engaged and active. She has, among other things, argued for a need to cancel the UK exit and is also a member of the campaigning group Another Europe is Possible. Professor Caldor, thank you for joining me in the UI podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've seen that you are one of the authors of a recent report published at the uh, LSE called Understanding Brexit at a Local Level, Causes of Discontent and Asymmetric Impacts, which points to a number of causes for the Leave votes in the 2016 Brexit referendum. And I'm wondering, could you tell me a little bit about what you see as the main reasons for why so many people chose to vote Leave and if there's anything that stands out in particular? Well, I think there are two dominant groups that voted leave. One is the group that we discuss in our report because we went to working class leave areas, areas which in which there'd been a dramatic decline of manufacturing and mining uh, ever since Mrs Thatcher came to power, but the impact of that has been felt much more strongly uh, over the last 10 years since the Conservatives came in, well, since the financial crisis, and that combined with a really drastic austerity policy, which hurt working-class people a lot. Um, What was interesting when we studied those areas is the problem is really a problem of skills, which is interesting. Um, These workers felt they were highly skilled workers in manufacturing and mining. Now the only jobs available are very unskilled jobs um, in things like online retailing. Mansfield, for example, which was one of the towns we studied, Mm -hmm. um, is the home to first direct and the people who used to be in manufacturing and mining just simply don't want those jobs and what we heard when we discussed and we had it in all of the places we went to was that on the one hand many of those people like to go to university and then they leave those areas and go south Um, but at the same time the increase in university fees Uh, introduced by the Conservative government has made that option much more difficult. And Mm -hmm. there's no longer any sort of high skills training, apprenticeships, those kinds of things in those areas. So the situation's very bad. I think in terms of Brexit, most of them simply voted out of frustration because they felt their voices were never heard. I think there's a strong gender element in all of this that particularly men who were skilled workers feel their masculinity has been undermined and you feel it's the men who have remained as the most fervent leavers. So that's one group, but I think there's another group which I haven't studied, but um, I've met lots of those people 
which are middle-class people who often live in the countryside or in small towns, who, in a sense, are suffering from imperial nostalgia. They come from families who had been in the empire. They feel as though they're owed privileges, which they no longer have. Uh, they often went to private schools, they sort of have a dream of a whites-only England uh, and, I, and, and a sort of way of being that's distinct that I think is very important element. And I think we often put most of the blame on the first group, whereas mm. I think if you look at the statistics, the second group is equally important. I think it's very much linked to a sort of English nationalism, but that's really a problem to discuss because it's somehow confused with British nationalism. What you see is that there was, uh, it was very different in Scotland and very different in Northern Ireland. And I think that's partly because people feel they have representation there. I think a lot of it has to do with voice and the feeling that there's no voice. What we found in both Mansfield and Pendle, the leave areas that we studied, was that they felt equally frustrated with Westminster and with Brussels. Mm. So there's a sense of powerlessness, and I think particularly for the English, and particularly in northeast England, but also, of course, uh, leave boats were very strong in the south of England in rural areas. Mm. Um, there's a sense of not being represented. And when, when you're talking about representation and in um, different areas feeling represented to different levels, um, I'm th also thinking about the political system in the UK, which is a little different from systems in, for example, here in Sweden with the, um, the first past the post electoral system uh, to the parliament. And in practice, this creating a system centered around two large parties. Um, do you think that this political system in itself has had an effect on the outcome of the Brexit referendum? Yeah, okay. I think it has a lot to do with it because, and I think it's not just that it's a two-party system, but it also has to do with democracy in the parties. I think what's happened over the last 20 years is that both parties have become electoral machines. I'm much more aware of what's happened in the Labour Party. But when I joined the Labour Party 50 years ago, it was much more democratic. You had the feeling that you could put a resolution in your local branch and it might be discussed in conference and it might become Labour Party policy. And a lot of democracy happened within the party. I think it, during the Blair years, all that was taken away. The party conference became, rather than a place for debating policy, a place to showcase the party. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was huge frustration um, that actually, you know, there's an enormous amount of power now located in the leaders of the party. Um, and it's very, very difficult for people who don't agree with them to influence that. And we've seen this now, I mean, even though Jeremy Corbyn came in promising to democratize the party, um, we've seen it in the Labour Party over the last few couple of years, 
that uh, the vast majority of Labour Party members, I think 90% in, term, in the last poll, voted Remain in the Brexit campaign mm-hmm. and 85% favour a second referendum. And yet there's a small group round in the leader's office that go on insisting that Labour favours an alternative deal. And it's I can't tell you how difficult it was in terms of being inside the party to try and shift policy. Um, in 2017, at the party conference, there was no discussion at all of Brexit. Um, mm. And in 2018, it took 150 constituencies sending urgency resolutions to conference, which is the only way you can send a conference now. And it has to be done in in exactly a month just before the conference. So we got 150 resolutions to the party conference. And even then the resolution calling for a second referendum, and even then the resolution had to be a compromise between the leadership and those who'd put forward the resolutions. So you would say then that it's less the political system itself and more how the the culture within the parties have developed? Absolutely. I think that's that sums it up very much. That's what I think. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I do think we would be more... I think we would be more democratic, both with more devolution, and that, I think, was the central conclusion that came out of our LSE study, that the British state has become incredibly centralised uh, over the last 20 to 30 years. There's much less power at local levels than there used to be. And with the exceptions of Scotland and Northern Ireland, though Northern Ireland has lost its um, its independent political power mm. because uh, of the role the DUP plays in the government. We can talk about that separately. But I think there's a combination of lack of devolution and lack of PR that could make this country much more democratic. But I do mm-hmm. think it's the culture that really matters. And I think the way the parties have transformed themselves from um, arenas for political debate, which they were originally, into electoral machines has been terribly damaging for our democracy. But so even if the the party cultures may have been the the main reason from the political system point of view, um, contributing to Brexit. Do you believe that this whole Brexit process um, will have an impact or a potential to change the system? I think this shift to becoming electoral machines is Europe-wide. And I think it's linked to the growing technology of elections. You know that you use polling data, you use focus groups, and you focus on the um, on the sort of swing voters in the middle. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, you become an echo chamber. Instead of initiating new policies, you develop policies which you think the public will like. Uh, And instead of having debates, you focus on what you think the public wants to say. And I think that explains why politicians tend to be so wooden. 
with the exception of, say, Nicola Sturgeon, who's the head of the SDP, the SNP, the Social Scottish Nationalists. Um, and I think that explains why Social Democrats, and this is all over Europe, it's not just a British problem, mm-hmm. uh, have shifted to neoliberal policies. Uh, and that's what is wiping them out in elections. This is, you know, social, you know, there's a real problem of social democracy. In the case of Labour, what's really interesting is that the emergence of Jeremy Corbyn and his leadership campaign led to a surge in support for the Labour Party um, and meant that uh, this is really changing in the case of Labour, even though it's a struggle going on all the time. But what you're seeing is, and in, you know, you, you look at Jeremy Corbyn and you see that he's constantly being under pressure, under influence, under the uh, influence by the grassroots of the party, even though he's quite resistant to those influences. Uh, so something is changing already in the UK case. I mm. just don't know if it's changing elsewhere. And the question is, will this change last? And in a curious way, I think it depends on Brexit, because I feel that if Brexit goes ahead and if Jeremy Corbyn is seen as having enabled it going ahead, then I think that will destroy this new phenomenon, what my friend Hilary Wainwright calls the new politics, because people Mm -hmm. will feel so disillusioned. Uh, with Labour and with Jeremy Corbyn and with the feeling that you can influence policies. They'll be so disappointed that I think it will, it's a a very dire direction for the future. But if it does succeed, then I think it will represent an example uh, for Mm -hmm. other places. It's kind of as though we had Pod Amos and Syriza inside the Labour Party rather than emerging as separate parties. Mm, Okay. So when you're talking about change now, just to clarify the change happening in the UK, you're talking about the change within the parties and about this party culture rather than the, the electoral system at large. Yeah, although I do think the electoral system is a problem. And I Mm. think another additional problem is, um, is that, Uh, David Cameron introduced five-year terms under the system as it was in the past if a government was heavily defeated there had to be a general election now uh, David Cameron introduced in 2010 fixed terms so that uh, of five years and there could only be a general election if there was a vote of confidence so if we'd been under the old system, there would have immediately been a general election after May's deal was defeated the first time. And I think that would have been much healthier. Well, if we look ahead, um, what we can expect to see in terms of the UK's future relation with the EU? Um, um, well, I'm hoping that we will remain members of the European Union. But in in let's let's say I just I think it would be very wrong to say that Brexit is inevitable. Um, I've thought that ever since the rev, the referendum. Uh, I think there is no good Brexit. 
Mm. Um, the centre, everyone says we have to respect the results of the referendum. Um, and But my feeling is that nobody really knew what they were voting for, leaving aside the problem of the ways in which the Leave campaign broke the law, the problem that the rules weren't particularly democratic. It was crazy to take a decision of this magnitude on the basis of a simple majority. It was crazy that Commonwealth citizens were allowed to vote and not EU citizens. So there were all sorts of problems with the referendum to begin with. But even if we assume that Leave would have won without those problems, it's still an impossible project. And it's the responsibility of political leaders to explain to the public why it's an impossible project. So why is it an impossible project? Well, I think for several reasons. First, of course, um, it will have a very bad economic effect um, on the country. Secondly, it's very likely to lead to the breakup of Britain. The Scots will become independent. Either the Northern Ireland war will begin again or Ireland will be united. Thirdly, I think if it does go ahead, it will mean a deep shift to the right in British politics, which mm -hmm. means the combination of anti-immigrationism and deregulation, which is quite toxic. Now, that's assuming a Brexit which does break economic relations. Of course, a lot of leaders, political leaders, particularly in the Labour Party, but also in the centre of the, in, in the Lib Dems and other parties, are saying, well, we could respect the result of the, the referendum by having a kind of Norway option, which means we would stay in the single market, we would stay in the economic, in the customs union, we wouldn't have the same economic uh, uh, consequences, but we mm. would have no say in the rules. And for me, that seems completely crazy. I, I think a lot of people voted against the European Union because they were very upset by the European Union's neoliberal policies, particularly what happened to Greece. And mm. there would be no chance if there were a left-wing government to have any chance or any influence on those rules. So neither a hard Brexit nor a soft Brexit is, I think, really conceivable because it's crazy for a country the size of Britain not to have a say in the rules. But there doesn't seem to be a real understanding of that. People feel there must be a way of squaring a circle, but there really isn't. Logically, there isn't. And that's why you're seeing this crazy mess in the House of Commons, because all of these different groups are favouring different options and everybody else sees the objections to all these options. And in so the end, I think the most likely outcome after endless discussion, uh, I think we will have to have a long extension. And I think in the end, the most likely outcome will be a second referendum. Hmm. But in in case we would see a Brexit of some kind. Yes. Do you see or what do you see as a way forward from there? Well, I think if that were to happen, I think a lot of people for me, the way forward, a positive way forward was that would be that people would keep campaigning to return to the European Union. And the 
cons once people feel the consequences of the European Union, they might support that position. Uh, that's a way forward. I'm not saying that would necessarily happen. Mm -hmm. I think what's more likely to happen is the breakup of Britain and a nasty right wing isolated England that will be very difficult to shift. Um, so, you know, there's everything to play for at the moment. Mm. Uh, what I'd also like to say is that I think it's terribly important that we participate in the European elections. I think the European elections will be the first time we've had European elections when the discussion will be about Europe rather than about uh, domestic politics. I mean, in the past, Europe has always been discussed as in or out, rather than what kind of Europe do we want. One of the effects of Brexit is that right-wing populists, while they profess Euroscepticism, don't actually want to leave the European Union. And they want to work together to create a sort of European Union in their image. And I think the result is that progressives are now getting together. I've just seen Party of European Socialist Manifesto, which is really good and really progressive. And so I think there will be a real debate about the future of Europe for the first time in these elections. Mm -hmm. And I think if we participate in that, that will be a way to open up the issue of Brexit. Up till now, Brexit has been debated in totally parochial terms. There's never any discussion of Europe. Europe is this strange entity that is the other. Uh, and nobody discusses the differences. You know, nobody acknowledges Britain's own responsibility for the kind of Europe we have. Uh, mm. And I think this might be the first time we open up that bit of the debate and that could be very healthy. So what in this very moment, what would you see as the best way forward? Would that be another extension or um, like what Definitely would be the action right now? There have to be a long extension. The best way forward would be if May's deal or the customs union proposal, one of the soft Brexit proposals that's being considered in Parliament, uh, was agreed subject to a confirmatory vote. In other words, it wouldn't exactly be a second referendum. It would be a vote on whether we want to accept this Brexit deal or whether we want to remain in the European Union uh, because nobody actually knew what Brexit deal they were voting for. So there's a very strong case um, in democratic terms for a confirmatory vote. On Monday, in the in the um, in the these indicative votes that Parliament's been going through, the the public vote was only 12 votes short of a majority, uh, and I think we are moving in that direction. So my view is the best result would be a long extension during which we hold a public vote, and I'm fairly confident that we would win that vote. Well, we still have very interesting developments to follow. Um, yeah, I think it would be, you know, I think what's not really understood in um, European circles is the extent to which, and I think that's an important point 
to emphasize the extent to which the left are overwhelmingly pro-Remain and the extent to which there is a real possibility of reversing Brexit. Um, I, you know, I, I noticed when I see the European reaction that there's huge frustration that Parliament refuses again and again to sign May's deal and they see it as an anti-European vote. But it's actually exactly the opposite. It's a pro-European vote. It's predominantly people who don't want to leave the European Union. Thank you so much um, for sharing your thoughts and uh, for talking to me today. I think it's been very interesting. And there are still so many questions I want to ask you. But um, <laughs> well, we could do it again. <laughs> find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews.